Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. And this is a very momentous one. Joining me today, as always, is... Brendan Rorison, and we've made it, Adam. Episode 50 of Time Extend. How, how have we done this? Why are people still listening? And God, is the, is the racing genre going to be able to keep up? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they can keep up with, you know, us taking twice as long or maybe three times as long to get to episode 50 as every other podcast on the planet. But the important thing is that we made it here eventually. And this episode took a while to put together for reasons that will become immediately clear uh, once we dive into it. Because we wanted to do something sort of special for episode 50. And rather than just kind of doing, you know, something on just one topic or a game or something like that, or just having one guest, what we decided to do was uh, have three separate segments uh, with different guests. And uh, the topics were always a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. And what we wanted to do is capture not only... Uh, some discussion about great racing games but also ones that are like, so far on different ends of the spectrum for each considerable title it makes it feel like a, a compendium almost of the types of stuff that we've covered through this point um, for each segment we won't kind of reveal the guests yet to keep the, the suspense up but um, to kind of look at what we talked about we wanted to talk to people who've been on Time Extend previously we wanted to basically hand the mantle over what do you want to talk about like sell it to us basically in the sense that we want to know what we haven't covered in enough detail in your opinion and then we just had some fantastic chat so i mean if that isn't worthy of episode 50 i'm not sure what would be yeah the rule and the direction for this episode was basically uh tell us you know we 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 asked every guest uh what racing game do you want to talk about the only rule is that it can't be one that one of the other guests who is in this episode has talked about um and i i think the first segment which is on the most obscure game that we will probably talk about is there, there was never a danger of anyone uh stepping on that particular guest's toes but um <laughs> but yeah we we left it up we left it up to guests to to determine and it wasn't necessarily like hey, you know, what's your favorite racing game ever that we're going to talk about? It could be something terrible. It could be something, you know, um, just that is sort of interesting to talk about or doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, two of these games, that's definitely true. Um, I was hoping somebody would come through with Driving Motion Type S, but sadly no one did. So we will have to cover Driving Motion Type S uh, in the future episode because uh, I cannot think of another game as bad uh, with more to discuss <laughs> than that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, ugh, we say it at the end of pretty much every episode now, but it feels like more and more titles worth talking about stacks up, and it's not because of any new releases, but it's just remembering all these kind of releases from previous years that now that we've covered all the main big hitters, the content from here on is going to keep focusing on these uh, very specific areas of racing games that maybe don't get the credit they deserve or titles as a whole that need a bit more kind of light shined on them and like we said that was that was almost the brief here um what games do you feel as if don't get enough credit for some of the, the good stuff they do but also highlight some of the kind of weird things about the game that's time extend in a nutshell so 
that this episode, episode 50, is almost a, a love letter to the people who obsess over the strangest racing games for no discernible reason. Uh, we, we've discussed <laughs> many of them up to this point. We have our own versions of those games. Obviously, the, the Shocks banter is just a, a kind of a, a flagship of that type of discussion. But honestly, that is time extend, isn't it? It's it's talking about these games beyond the most popular ones that deserve to have a bit of airtime. And for this episode, we wanted to kind of pass the the torch to some of our kind of favourite guests throughout the, the series so far. Yep. Couldn't have put it better myself. So that that just about sums it up. And uh, I think with that, we'll head straight into the first guest. Yep. Enjoy the show, guys. So joining us for this segment is none other than Andrew Elmore. And uh, Andrew, you got a weird one for us to talk about here. What, give us give us a little bit of a preamble. What What is this game? What did you well, find? You know, I got a brand to maintain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there is a racing series that I find kind of interesting that I don't expect would ever uh, be getting its own time extend episode. So there was one entry specifically that I wanted to... To, uh, that I think is at least worth having a brief discussion about. Um, so Cave, who were famous for uh, STGs, uh, sh- shooters, shmups, if you if you will, to use the common parlance of our times, mm. uh, made all of these kind of budget uh, toge, like mountain road drift racing games uh, for Atlas in the 90s across a few different platforms. Um, I first found uh toge king the spirits one and two on saturn which is where that started um and those games are interesting to me they are aesthetically beautiful and amazing um but they are also early saturn racing games and as we know uh the saturn being a 2d powerhouse uh the hardware struggles a lot with trying to load in complicated 3d uh environments at high speeds so uh it's a little weird to try to play those it's almost um, like it wasn't made for that from the start yeah, it's almost like i had a completely different yeah <laughs> uh so there's also toge max one two and g on the sony playstation computer entertainment system uh and never heard of it of those i <laughs> not familiar at all call mccray who uh yeah so the the only one of those that I have is Max 2, which, as far as I can tell, is a port of the second Saturn game. Um, just expanded a little bit. I don't know if that's actually accurate, but uh, it's been a while since I've played it, and last I did, I remember that being my kind of uh, um, predominant impression. Uh, but I've heard G is very good. Uh, after that, there was Toge Max 3 on the PS2, which, uh, weirdly enough, had a PAL release as Road Rage. Um, I don't know what the level of familiarity out there is. Um, it's not something I've ever heard anyone talk about, and there's not a ton of info on it out there. 
but that and the first one were the only ones that I'm aware of, at least, that got released outside of Japan. Because the first one uh, was released on Saturn. Adam, you remember the name. I don't. It's Mountain. Yeah, High Velocity Mountain Racing Challenge. There you go. That's it. Yeah. So have you have you played that? I feel like we talked yeah, about so, that Yeah, so I have it. Um, this is such a weird, weird series because uh, yes, it is. it's almost like, I mean... This is a bit of an extreme example, if anyone knows. I know you know what I'm talking about, but it's almost like the crazy castle <laughs> of racing games because it's had so many different titles. Um, like on PlayStation yeah, yeah. 2, there was one called Road Rage 3, and if you didn't know that there were two previous Toge games, you would not have known what this was because, I mean, was there even a Road Rage 2? Like, was the game ever released in Road Rage 2 form? Like, it's, it's so weird. I mean, Brendan's <laughs> the one that... Lives in that territory. Yeah, but, um, it's all past me. I can't even recall ever seen it on shelves. Um, the fourth one, so I'm assuming that sounds yeah, about right. <laughs> means that the second one probably didn't exist in some capacity. But um, so, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I used to buy like every racing game I could at a certain point. I think we all did growing up. Yeah. Um But nope, that that does not ring a bell at all. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, so I found out about these games through, uh, I think someone posted uh, like either a screenshot or like the cover art or something of uh, the first game on Saturn um, on like uh, some some like Tumblr aesthetic blog or something that I use for like inspo research and doing design work. Um, and I was like, ooh, I need to check that out. So I found the first two on Saturn on eBay and imported them. Um, which led me down this deep, dark hole. Uh, and at some point I was curious about this series because I didn't even know that Cave made yeah. 3D racing games at all. That's weird. Um, and then when I found out that the last one, the last one they made, uh, Toge R, which is the game that we're going to be talking about today, was on was an Xbox exclusive in Japan. <laughs> there are not a lot of those. And me being uh, just... Uh, you know, absolute sucker for anything uh, original Xbox exclusive related. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to pick that up and try it out. Uh, so I found it on eBay for a pittance, and this was actually, I think, the first uh, Japanese Xbox game that I imported, um, which sent me down a separate deep dark rabbit hole that uh, we can talk about another day. But what I found was a strange and fascinating racing game that I would love to talk about for a few minutes with, with you lads. Yeah, so, Brand, I, I assume you, you haven't played this game. I haven't played it either. Um, what I did do was, in addition to watching, <laughs> be good. watching some videos and reading as much as I could on it, was I was able to uh, just, you know, grab a ROM of Road Rage 3 for the PS2, which seems to be pretty much the same as Toge R. That's I, what I was wondering. I don't know if they're the same game or not. They like, look, I don't know anything they about look like 3. they're the same game. I mean, I'm sure Toge okay. R probably, you know, runs at 480p and maybe is better overall, maybe has a couple extra cars. I don't know. But they look like even the HUDs look the same. So Road Rage 3, <laughs> and, and that's only because the only reason I played that one was because it's not... I don't have, like, I have an original Xbox, but I don't have anything that can play anything mod or, like, imports that, you know, a system that's mod or anything like oh, that. Oh, buddy. You gotta soft mod that thing. It takes, like, five minutes. But I don't even know, but, see, this is the thing. I don't even know if there's a point, because, like, as you said yourself, there's, like, <laughs> maybe three or four games I'd want to play that are imports on the original Xbox. So, I just decided to make things easier <laughs> on myself and, and grab a, you know, Road Rage 3. And the funny thing about that is, 
it doesn't run particularly well emulated, um, which you oh, know no. a lot of PlayStation games don't. It runs or PS2 games. It runs well enough as long as you're doing like a time trial and you're the only car on track. But the second that uh. you try to do like a four car race or anything like that it just the, the frame rate is in the single digits oh so um <laughs> i was able okay, so to try it but not to the degree that it was intended to be played <laughs> so that's not like a forcing it to 60 hertz thing that's an actual like i horsepower in the emulation yeah usually. it required um a bunch of changes to like i had to in pcsx2 i had to drive up like the emotion engine cycles and i had to do something else and oh, it's a it's a mess but it works and i don't that's the thing is because this is a pal game it already runs slow and weird so <laughs> it's kind of like compounding that so i don't think that my my feelings on this game are going to be particularly representative of even the ps2 version and that's not that's not the one that you brought up so great uh yeah no i i have a few japanese ps2s and i do intend on importing that at some point just just to know um but uh but currently Tokyo r is the only uh, version of that that i have and i would yeah that's that's what it came here for uh I, i'm happy to report that at least the xbox version it, it i keep saying version as if we've just confirmed that they are the same game they probably are uh, or at least very similar. Um, but uh, yeah, Tokyo R on the Xbox runs at a locked 60 at all times, uh, no matter how many cars are on the track. Nice. So that's been, that's been nice. fine. It's very, very, very smooth. Um, yeah, it's it's generally, it's kind of a budget series. It's not the most polished series in the world, but uh, it is at least very interesting to me, which is always going to be more like valuable in terms of my own personal like priorities in weird games, uh, especially like cheap imports from this era um but it's for being a licensed game it has a ton of licenses or sorry for being a budget game it has a ton of licenses uh like i'm sure you flip through the car list and everything but it's got all of the like i mean it's everything you would expect right it's all the uh like the daily driver japanese hits the 80s and 90s you've got like multiple ae86 variants Got a Sylvia, an S2000, a CRX SIR. There's that weird WRX STI version five. There's an 83 Skyline in there. Uh, like it's got a lot. Like they they put the money up for this. One of the things I like about it is that whereas most games like this would have you buy a stock version of that car, when you're selecting the car, it already has been modified in some way. Like yeah. all of these cars have some kind of, you know, slight body kit or different wheels and all the modifications look good. So it's kind of nice. I mean, some would argue maybe it takes the fun out of it, but also it's kind of nice to be able to just pick like, you know, an A86 and it already has some modifications made to it. Because let's be honest, who wants to drive a stock AE86? Nobody. I don't even think I don't even think you can find one in Japan. They they all say, have are something. there any left at this point? Like <laughs> Nobody wants that. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, there's something, there's something about it. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure everyone that owns even like a Corolla 11 GT for a while is probably going to do something to it. Uh, in my experience over here, it seems like it's mostly just people putting ridiculously loud mufflers on them. But uh, at least anyway. give me some some Watanabe's. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there there is uh, at least in R. There's a lot of uh, like kind of shitoku battle level of uh customization and mod stuff you can do in the career mode 
so you can start with one of those cars and then um, make those changes as you go. So it's not like you're stuck to the pre-customized versions. I think that's only if you're doing like uh, time trials and like pickup races and stuff. If you play the career mode, all that all that customization stuff is in there. But uh, I am generally not someone that plays through a lot of career modes in a lot of games like these. I tend to value the like kind of quick pick up and put down ability of older racing games. Um, I think the last time I really like played all the way through a career mode was like maybe Most Wanted 05. Uh, and then obviously R4 because that's like you just sit down for an hour and play through the Grand Prix. Like that's a that's a one sitting type thing. But uh, generally I, I, I kind of like I take my racing games in uh like snack bite sized varieties where i'll just like pick one up for an evening and then i'll play something else the next night or whatever uh and this is really really good for that mm. i feel like um it also so, helps right that it's in a different language and so you probably couldn't get very far <laughs> in the career yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah they did uh some of the previous games actually had a full-on like story mode with a narrative and everything and that's not here um but I, I don't I don't mind. That's I mean that's like that's my problem with Racing Lagoon, right? Like yeah. I finally got that copy from Retroco a while ago, and I love it. It's amazing. But like, man, I wish I had any idea what was going on. Yep, the curse <clears throat> of drift games. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So speaking of which, I think the the closest kind of analog to this is uh, what got localized in the West as the TXR Drift series, yep. and. Uh, I have both of those games and I like this a lot more. Hmm. Um, I know TXR Drift did that whole like they laser scanned all of those actual like uh, Hukane roads and everything. Oh wow, I didn't know but that. I just like playing this game a lot more. This game feels like nothing else and I don't know how much of that came through in your emulation experience. Or <laughs> A lot of that is dependent on what controller you were using as well. Um, yeah, I was using I was using an Xbox gamepad. Uh, and again, to reiterate, it was oh a, yeah, that one. It was a PS2 oh. version, so you know, whatever. Yeah, but um, yeah, it it's weird because I feel like it starts out and it lulls you into this false sense of responsiveness, and then you try to drift, and you're like, the car is not turning enough, uh, and then you discover the handbrake, and that kind of changes everything in this game. Yeah, um, the other side of that is that uh, the thing that. Uh, the emulation with the with an Xbox, like a, I'm assuming it was either a 360 or an Xbox One uh, Xbox controller. One, but yeah. yeah, so those don't have pressure sensitive buttons, mm -hmm. uh, which this game makes very, very deft use of. Um, people forget the original Xbox also had pressure sensitive buttons. It wasn't just the PS2. Um, the difference is PS2 games used it. Uh, <laughs> like everyone played Gran Turismo 3 and was sold on that concept immediately, whereas on the Xbox it had the analog triggers, so all the racing games used those. So the only time that pressure-sensitive face buttons on the Xbox really made sense was that port of Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, Brendan and I have had uh, horrific experience with pressure-sensitive <laughs> buttons, yep. particularly when we tried to play various <laughs> PS2 racing games back in Scotland. Just because it destroys your hands yeah. after. Oh God, oh. it hurts so much. It hurts, dude. Like I even have that problem with Ridge Racer. Like all of them. Yeah, Ridge Racer Five. Is Ridge the worst Racer Five was the one that caused a few casualties. Yeah. <laughs> dude, do you remember oh, yeah, the blister? Way. It'll put you in the hospital, dude. Do you remember the blisters on my thumb? Like holy yeah. shit. Me, that was that was that one particular race though that you're <laughs> you, you desperately had to beat, like doing it over and over again. There was no thumb skin left, like at all. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> It's like when Nintendo shipped out those gloves for that Mario Party menu. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Oh, oh, yeah. man. 
but yeah, so the reason that this game feels like nothing else is because it has this, it, like it, this is the first time that a game has made me a believer in using face button driving controls. Um, partially because it doesn't hurt as bad as the flat, like extra squishy uh, DualShock 2 buttons. Mm. Um, uh, Cause they're rounded and have a little bit more resistance. Uh, so you don't have to push nearly as hard. It's a bit more comfortable, uh, at least on an Xbox controller. Um, but it's, this game is all about, uh, well, I wrote this down somewhere in like a tweet from a couple years ago. Uh, da, 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 da. I said, it's all about balancing thumb pressure between the gas and brake to adjust your wheel spin as you slide in and out of turns, um, which is kind of all drifting, <laughs> like all drifting is that, yeah. but uh, like downshifting into second and then flooring the accelerator will give you much more control mm. than tapping the brake into a chicane or whatever. Like that's, that's the type of game this is. It's not concerned like you don't need to hit the e-brake to swing the back end out and uh like scandinavian whip every corner which you kind of need to do in this game and it desperately encourages you to um i also uh have to imagine i mean this is an assumption but you can confirm it or deny it uh a lot of xbox racing games from this era did really interesting things with vibration like sega gt 2002 was one of the weirdest just something about the way that that game conveys. Oh, yeah. All the tire grip. All the grip, yeah. It's just, it's almost like there's always a level of vibration when you're playing Sega GT 2002, like coming through the controller. It's just a matter of yeah. how much you're feeling at any given point based on whether you're drifting, whether you're off-road. And it uses it really well, and it gives you like this, this added level of like definition to what's going on physically. And I feel like that's maybe something that this game would try to do especially being like an early xbox game and i feel like maybe japanese developers had a bit more intuition when it came to stuff like that definitely uh however this game does not have the budget that sega gt 2002 does right. uh the only time that i really notice uh the uh vibration at all is um these roads have uh those, oh, the road paint, uh, right? And the rumble strips and stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The rumble strips in there are modeled very carefully. And the, that's what made me realize, uh, and I don't know if this is actually what's going on, but what it feels like is that the, it feels like the actual physics engine is what's controlling the driving model. Because when you hit those rumble strips with just two wheels and you feel them go up a little bit and you lose control just on that side and it pulls to the other side a little bit where the actual tire grip is, because the other tires are in the air for just a second. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, this isn't this isn't a driving game. This is a physics simulator where I happen to be controlling a car, <laughs> which suddenly made all of the like uh, drifting mechanics make a lot more sense. Mm. Uh, it's like, um, OK, did you guys ever watch Initial D? Yeah. yeah. OK, you know, the first like the very first story arc, there's that whole like plot about uh uh, when he's taking the 8.6 down the mountain, he dips the wheel into the, like, roadside curb to, yeah. like, fling the... So you can do that in this game? Really? <laughs> Does those... it look as extreme as the, the early CGI looked in Initial D? <laughs> Just like... No, it's much more It's much more terrifying. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's happening at speed, and you're trying to control the vehicle. So, like, I'm not saying it's going to work great, but I did it on accident right yeah. once, and I was like, oh, oh, that's what kind of game this is. Um... 
It's like, it's not that the physics are like super like realistic or anything. Like the wall bounce is really forgiving. You can, you can hit a yeah. wall and just kind of keep going and not have lost much speed at all. It's fine. It's almost uh, like all the modelista in that way. Kind of. Yeah. Like I feel like this game cares much more about you having fun with it than about trying to simulate anything, which is why yeah. it like oversteer is pretty hard too. Um, but yeah, you can totally hook a wheel in that rain gutter and like bounce, <laughs> like just yeah, slide around a corner like a grappling hook or something uh, and then bounce back up and keep going. It's great. Have either uh, of you guys played uh, any of the initial D games? Whether on PS3 or PS2 or... Played a couple of the arcade games. Okay. I There's always something... I mean, those games have massive fan bases and there's always something missing from them to me. Like, especially the one that got ported to PS3 I have. Yeah. And... The way that you corner in that game, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's there's an added level of technique that I'm not aware of, but you can pretty much just, you know, flip the analog stick in either direction and your car is sideways. And oh my. I don't get much satisfaction from that. Whereas, you know, there, there's still, I think, a lot for me to uncover when it comes to these Toga games. But I like that you do have to manage you know the throttle and the brake you can do weird physics crap like i that makes the game that would make a game more um just just sort of have that added layer of depth for me and just give me more to sink my teeth into as opposed to you know oh now i'm now i'm like 90 degrees to the left and <laughs> that's it like and and i'm sure i'm sure it's one of those things where the game is you know th those initial d titles are rather they're made to be rather easy to enjoy off the bat, but then you, you know, kind of have to dig into the physics a little bit more. I mean, but, they're made um, to live out the fantasy of the show, right? Like it's right, right. You want to be but sideways those, at all times. It's <laughs> sure, but then those games also obviously have like massive competitive. I mean, I don't know about massive anymore, but at one time had a big competitive scene. And, yeah, and so I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there's more to it than that. But uh, I think there's actually something about like Togear's, um initial level of difficulty that sort of appeals to me like oh i have to i really have to kind of tease the control out of this car it's not something i can just jump into and that makes it a little bit more exciting yeah and it ends up having like there's a very wide range for player expression in there uh which is something that i really like because you feel so responsible for the momentum because it gives you so much control over it uh, like it strikes this exact like balance. They have walk this very thin tight rope between sensitivity and precision on the analog sticks. And it's like exactly what I've always wanted out of an arcade style racing game controls. Like it's, I, I get very uh, frustrated when uh, like flinging the analog stick all the way to one side barely turns a little bit. Like that's not how cars work. Uh, because theoretically, if you turn the wheel all the way to one side while you're going 100 some odd miles an hour, you're going to die. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't need to be that hard. Um, but this definitely does swing a little bit more in that direction. Like, you're not going to roll it or anything. But if you push the analog stick all the way to one side, the game uh, interprets that as like, oh, player really wants to turn this direction, don't they? So it swings pretty hard. Like, it, uh, like compared to most other... Uh, like arcadey racing games it probably feels like a lot of oversteer um but i really like it because it gives you so much like fine motor control um and it's just like it's again it's really weird it feels like nothing else you're constantly feeling the wheel spin in your hands and like you're constantly 
riding the line between grip and slip like a bike. Uh, but once you kind of get into that headspace after a couple practice laps, it feels really good. And like this game is not heavy on content uh, or budget or polish or variety or anything like that. Um, but what it offers in terms of its actual playability and moment to moment is so unique and fascinating to me that it's uh, it's genuinely become one of my very favorite racing games because it's just wow. so delightful to pick up and put down whenever. It's just fired up and I'm just having a, a lot of like measurable fun within seconds and it's great um the ai and the challenge races is like i call them tough but fair it's like if you know what you're doing it's pretty easy um but they do kind of just ignore you and drive the track like <laughs> it's not really ai it's more just like a car driving a pre-recorded like lap and if you like bump into them and push them out of the way or whatever they'll just kind of push their way back to the line that they're supposed to be on um but in the like, movable force right and like th those are the kind of things that like betray the budget a little bit um but it's it's enough um and i find myself having more fun with like time trials uh and just trying different cars on the same track over and over because they all feel pretty different like uh like a sylvia feels way different from a supra in this game uh etc like there's in terms of how willing it is to kick the back end out or like how much acceleration it has or where that acceleration is coming from. Like rear and front wheel drive feels very differently in a game that's all about drifting around tight corners and a mountain pass. So yeah, I don't know The the soundtrack is really good. Like, yeah, the soundtrack is good. It's not like this transcendentally game... good, but it's got that like Eurobeat infused acid jazz that I'm obviously always looking for in my life. <laughs> This game gave me a lot of, uh, it, just visually as well as with the audio, the vibes were kind of a mix of uh, Tokyo Extreme Racer, the earlier games, yeah. and Driving a Motion Type S, <laughs> which Driving Motion Type S is a bad game. However, it has a banging soundtrack. Oh, it's got an amazing soundtrack. It's got a fantastic soundtrack. And also, like, just the menus were very Driving Motion Type S style. Like, you have the RGB grids and this preference oh, yeah. for like italicized all caps aerial all the time <laughs> which is a very driving emotion type s type thing yeah i'm just i looked up on google um to see when the last mention of toby was <laughs> and um there's a fan translation patch actually released yes. last yeah. december which um, i was gonna bring that up that came out like a year ago yeah um, that one I'm amazed that it's that recent, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> there was a mention of the game, it's... but um, I'm just checking like the um, the kind of website where you can find the translation pack, and it's been downloaded 294 times in a year. <laughs> so it's like yeah. a very specific subset of fans must have been very wow. excited. Which might be more copies than the game actually sold, <laughs> from what I can tell. Like it's so there's almost zero information about this at all. I found one preview from 2001 or 2002 um but i found no reviews like this doesn't even have a game facts page like there's nothing out there about this game like i was searching for it and half the results were just me yelling about it on twitter like there's so little <laughs> that's the how you know a game is obscure when you discover that you were the source of 70 percent of the information <laughs> online about it right and even then there's barely any so i don't know who this person is uh they go by mr richard 999 which obviously uh just like in real life, anytime someone's name is Mr. Richard, it's an REM reference. 
Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you're out there, Mr. Richard 999, thank you for your service. You've made the, <laughs> the world a better place. <laughs> I think Cave, I think with the series, Cave and Atlas just kind of shot themselves in the foot trying to figure out how to market a drift game around the world because between all the name changes uh, i'm gonna send you guys uh something so you, andrew i don't think you mentioned this uh in your introduction but this game was one of these games was known as peak performance on the playstation one i didn't and, even know that uh, yeah and if you got the it was released in the u.s actually uh, and if you got the American version of it, this was the cover. Oh my. And I'm going to let you guys react, and then I'm going to explain what we're looking at. <laughs> what? Oh my. That, so, hmm. uh, <laughs> I have So what they did, what they did was they took Toge Max, this, this one was Toge Max Saisoku Driftmaster. Uh, the cover of this release of the game <laughs> has a Chevy, what looks to be a Chevy S10 uh, that was driven by Robbie Unzer, Roger Mears Racing. This looks like either a NASCAR, like a, a truck series yeah. car, like a dragster. And then it's got like, I think I see like a motorcycle in the top right there. I see a Celica Pikes Peak <laughs> car, the yellow one. There's a Pikes, whoa, wait, wait, I didn't notice this. This game is sponsored by the yeah. Pikes Peak Hill Climb. But as far as I can tell, this is just the packaging for a port of one of the Toge games. So this is the first they game. literally Okay. So yeah. the marketing was just like the US marketing department or Atlas in America was just like, fuck it, we're gonna make this look like basically like a Dale Earnhardt shirt from nineteen ninety four and yeah, just like hundred percent nineties NASCAR vibes. <laughs> has nothing to do with the game. Absolutely yeah. nothing to do with the game. This hilarious. is going for like forty bucks on eBay. What is going on? <laughs> And this is, um, I thought that uh, the port of Toka 2 for the PS1 in the US known as Jarrett and Labonte stock car racing <laughs> yeah. was the worst example. Yes. was That's the. Toka? I thought that was wow. the worst example of false advertising for the US market, but I think this is. Ah, oh, dude, that's one of my favorite things about racing games is that they're just like repackaged in wildly different like names and aesthetics and everything from territory to territory. I know yeah. we talked about this last time with uh, um, Lamar, but man, man. <laughs> I think I've said it before as well, but the most disingenuous one um, in the UK was, I can't even remember the name of it, but typically it was an Infogram's published game since they seem to always do this shit. Um, they rebranded a racing game Max Power Racing. Max Power was like what can only be eloquently put as a titty magazine for car enthusiasts. Mm. Um, and for whatever reason, they decided to rebrand the game to Max Power Racing from uh, C3 Racing, that's what it was called elsewhere, um, to Max Power Racing in the UK. And it's one of the strangest. Um, that was one of the weirdest ones, and I wonder if it helped them sell more copies. Oh, yeah. So this is a Eutechnics game, Car yeah, Constructor yeah. Championship. It looks like it was C3 in the rest of Europe, but for whatever reason in the UK, <laughs> they're like, no, 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 hold on, I've got an idea. Uh, and then the it was one TNN example. Motorsports Hardcore in North America. What is Wow. This is so... Wow. Typically, typically, it's that in North America, these games get dumbed down or watered down for 
our market. But um, the one example of the opposite happening was, Brendan, I remember when you, we had an episode where you kept talking about Total Drive-In. I was like, I have no yeah. idea what game you're, you're talking about. Uh, but in the U.S., that was called Car and Driver Presents Grand Tour Racing 98, which I feel like is much more true to the spirit of the game than whatever the hell total driving <laughs> means. Yeah, it's, yeah that, that, I don't get that one at all. Total um, driving is a great name. <laughs> total driving. <laughs> with, the, uh, with the apostrophe over the, over the N and everything. Oh, yeah. Well, that's how you know it's got just a touch of tood. I don't think you guys got the banging soundtrack in that game though, did you? For there, I think I read somewhere that the European version of the game, or the UK one as well, um, they kind of changed the soundtrack around a bit and they gave it like a really kind of house, kind of early 90s like soundtrack. Is that what I'm you listening. recall from playing the game? I, I haven't played that game in... I'm 27, I haven't played that game <laughs> in going to say 23 years. I'm so. going to check this oh, wow. out actually, very quickly. <laughs> 20, 22 maybe? I think Andrew um, would be buzzing with this, <laughs> what's the case? Well that's that's like uh, Top Gear Rally, the, the N64 yeah. one, um, had a, a really, like Barry Leach composed that one, and it has a really sad sound, I mean it's a beautiful soundtrack, especially considering it was on the N64, yeah. but um, it's really like dire and bleak, and then for the Japanese market, I guess they told them, like, Kemco uh, told them, like, let's let's liven things up a bit. And so the title screen for the Japanese version is just this, it's almost like Ridge Racer 1 level of, like, just Gabber happy hardcore. I mean, it's, it's not Gabber, but it's that kind of, you know, BPM and it hits you that hard. And then you go into Coastline and all of a sudden the game just reverts back to its, like, depression. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes no sense. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I played that uh, game a lot as a kid, and I, I'm, I've realized over the years, mostly through listening to this episode, because I think at some point, like the first time that I heard uh, one of those tracks, uh, or this podcast, I mean, not this episode, obviously, but the first time I heard Adam put one of those tracks in there, like unlocked this sense memory of like sitting down on the floor in front of our old crt playing that game and being like oh i wonder if this like planted a bunch of seeds in my brain in terms of like forlorn electronic music that goes slightly <laughs> harder than it should but yeah that, that soundtrack rules so it turns out total driven uh or driving did get a, a different soundtrack in europe um compared to the other releases so i've just dropped that in fear listening pleasure after the pod um it was basically licensed by armada music which was a UK-based trans public uh, trans um, what's the word I'm looking for? Music publisher here. Label. Yeah. So, um, or as they were known at the time, Quart Communications. And then they became Armada <laughs> Music. So um, this is a it's very interesting when you get those scenarios. And if it in- introduces a new soundtrack, I'm always for it. Bless you, Brendan. This is wonderful. <laughs> what a gift. And you want to play Total Drive-In because, as Wikipedia says, GameSpot reviewer Jeff Gersman felt the controls were decent but admitted they could take a lot of getting used to due to the game's unique steering system. <laughs> Shout out to Jeff Gersman. I love how the more you, you get stuck in the Wikipedia rabbit hole of old racing games, you just find Jeff Gersman's name. Just <laughs> he was working that everywhere. beat, man. He was, he was working every beat because okay, that's yes, something that's also that true every because... video game journalist did in 1997. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, was Je- Jeff, has, Jeff has literally been covering games since the year you and I were born. Like, it's he's done everything. Hmm. 
Uh, well, I know we wanted to keep this one short, but this is almost long enough for a regular Time Extend episode. Oh, so, crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, any any parting thoughts from either of you on Toge R before we end this one? Sorry, I feel like I should. I feel like I have a responsibility to wrap this up. So, uh, Brendan, what you, what you got? <laughs> um, given my limited experience and um, watching of the free YouTube videos I could find, <laughs> I say that graphically it looks like literally every budget racing game ever released. However, <laughs> I can see vaguely the momentum type car movements you were describing. So it's a, a nine out of ten for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can see the physics working. <laughs> the sim dad isms in me could notice that the car moved in a way that resembled a racing car. <laughs> look forward, once Brenda's played this, look forward to his uh, assessment of how it compares to iRacing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Followed immediately by how it compares to Shock's route. Shock, I can't even talk. Yes. That's whatever. I'm, I'm gone at this point. I'm sorry. It's a note to end on. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Shocks. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, of course, always, always a pleasure. Uh, so yeah, should do some. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out if I have anything else to say to wrap this up with uh, in regards to this game. But I feel like I kind of word vomited all of that out to you already. Um, I would say if you're interested in importing a copy, they are cheap, and I don't speak or read any Japanese whatsoever, and I've not had any problem uh, navigating all of this. But again. Shout out to Mr. Richard 999 for hand translating it anyway. So like that, I mean, that probably maybe there's tons of other stuff in the menus that I'm not even aware of that uh, has been cleared up there. So that's worth checking out. Uh, I recommend also, it if you're into uh, weird stuff. Top tip: Somebody, I was watching a video. Of somebody play this game, and they had the brilliant idea of pointing their phone, like their phone's camera, up to the screen to translate things. Yes. which I had never, because there are apps that do that now, and I, I had never thought to do that. So I think I'm going to try to play, uh, play through Racing Battle C1 Grand Prix or whatever, or Racing Lagoon, and see how far I get using that method. Uh, good luck. That is So I play a lot of imports across genres and platforms, and that's what I always do. I just use the, uh, the camera part of the Google Translate app on my phone. Um, it does not know what to do with the refresh rate of CRTs, which has been oh. a problem. Uh, uh, so you have to hold it pretty far away. Um, but also, generally speaking, uh, it helps for menu navigation, but dialogue and any any like conversational speech is completely useless. Also, anything in katakana is going to be a problem because it's phonetic. So, mm. uh, best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Won. Well, uh, forget everything I just said. And, uh... <laughs> I mean, it's what I do. Like it's. it's... <laughs> It'll work. Just don't expect it to work smoothly yet. We're not. Mm. We're not that far in the future. Don't expect it to work smoothly. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna fade this one out at a certain point. So <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, sounds good. I was. I was gonna. I was gonna plug our other podcast real quick before we head out all the way. But uh, <laughs> we could do that too. <laughs> Increase our listenership from one to like maybe one point two. If if you like if you like hearing uh, Andrew and I dawdle and and sound like idiots, uh, but about a different topic that has nothing to do with driving, uh, go listen to the Silent Discographer. Yeah, that is a music podcast that we do, uh, ostensibly about going through bands' discographies in chronological order. We worked our way all the way through Death Cab for Cutie, and uh, we've spent the last ninety five years slowly working through four slow dive albums because life is a lot right now. Uh, and then 
uh, go check out Brendan and I's secret Formula One podcast that only exists in my mind. You can download that in my brain. In my mind. <laughs> if you listen to enough episodes of Silent Discographer, I promise you, in each one, I make a reference to some racing game. You have to find it, but it does happen. It, I just can't, can't believe not. the next uh, band that you guys are focusing on is the Venga Boys. I didn't see that one coming Damn at Damn it. All. <laughs> we don't really reveal that yet. <laughs> time extend exclusive, baby. <laughs> Make it time. Welcome back. Uh, for this segment, we are joined by none other than Paul Lavelle. And Paul, it's great to have you here. Tell us what game we're going to be chatting about. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, today I'd like to talk about Gran Turismo Sport. GT Sport. It's... Uh, I don't, what, what can you say about GT Sport? This is going to be a real short segment because I, I have absolutely... No idea what to say. It's a game that that speaks for itself. Brendan, I'm putting you on the Yeah, spot. I mean, I'm more than happy to take the lead. I think GT Sport is actually an interesting Gran Turismo to talk about purely, um, even from its reveal. I, I just remember the sheer confusion about what it was. People just assumed in some capacity it would be like a prologue to GT7. That, that still might come to fruition. Um, <laughs> Or they, they kind of seen it as a, a get-out for polyphony in terms of trying not to make a fully-fledged GT title. I think, though, um, with the benefit of playing it across many years now, seeing how it's grown, seeing how much polyphony has committed to the, the esports bit, so to speak, um, I, I think it's one of these Gran Turismo games that will be looked at, say, in 5-10 years more fondly than some might feel about it now. Because, let's be honest, compared to the other games in the series, it really does offer something that was just not easily accessible in many racing games prior to GT Sport kind of flagshipping it. Good, clean racing with a system that's built from the ground up to facilitate that. Yeah, that's all, you know... Wow, I really cannot put a thought together right now, can I? Uh, Paul... <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, I, I guess. I guess. Why? Uh, why did you want to chat about GT Sport, and what? What is it that uh, interests you about about that game in particular? Because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. I think it's safe yeah. to say it's one of our favorites. Um, but it is. It is shockingly hard for me in this moment, for whatever reason, to just take a step back and be like GT Sport. So, uh, yeah. What? What? What is it about GT Sport that uh, that gets to you? <laughs> I mean, really, it was what Brendan said, but uh, it's um. It 
how accessible it is to get into an online race and the, the entire game being based around it. Uh, and I guess it's accessibility in a lot of ways in that game, whereas it's not the most realistic racing game in the world, but it kind of makes it, you know, it, it just does enough to help you when you're driving around. Like we've done it in our GT sessions when we played it. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a good, easy game to play, but it, it doesn't ever feel like neutered, like it's taken sort of anything away from you. It's just a nice, nice game to play, to drive. You know, it feels great. It feels realistic. And it, you know, it gives you the emotion of driving these these high performance cars. And it's just it's just a nice game to play. And I think it's and, it, and like I said, it's really interesting that they changed it so much for this game. You know, and selfishly, I had a um, for me it was a perfect game to not have a, a big career mode because I had a child during the PS4 generation, so I have less time to play games now. So a big hundred hour uh, single player career mode wasn't something I was particularly interested in doing again. Uh, to, ha to have, a g have a game where you can just jump in for half an hour or an hour and do a load of multiplayer races, really good racing with a very, very solid network connection. Um, it's perfect. It was great. It is strange to think about how when that game was announced, it was very, it was a really questionable thing for the series and for Polyphony because we all wanted Gran Turismo 7, obviously, because who, who wouldn't want the biggest possible, you know, the, the next big step in that series, uh, especially if you're a longtime fan. And mm. instead we got GT Sport, which I, I think in the beginning was like, nobody really knew what the hell it was. Um, some people were like, oh, this is just prologue. Uh, other people kind of took to the whole esports slant of it sooner and kind of were, were better at figuring out sort of the trajectory and like what that game was going for um, but I think it confused a lot of people and I just remember when I played it for the first time which was during that really lengthy beta session that they had a couple of months yeah. before the game release I remember it it came out in I think October of 2017 and <laughs> then um, back in like I don't know like April or May it was like late spring early summer they had that beta and um it was just, it was fantastic. Like right off the bat, the ease at which you could, um, I can't, there was, there there had to be online in that beta, right? I think it was, it was on, on it was online racing and uh, online leaderboards competing, I yeah. think, yeah. Just the, yeah, yeah. Cause I remember uh, I was living in an apartment with a couple of my friends and we would just jump into races. And you know, you only had like, I think the tracks were like Brands Hatch and like, that might've been it. There might've been like one more track. And you only had like, I think like a group three car or something, but just the ease at which you could just like jump into races there, mm -hmm. uh, really kind of immediately made it clear to me like, okay, this is what this game is supposed to be. And I think it, we, we owe a lot to GT sport for reinvigorating the series. I really do believe, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've never tried to, uh, dampen the fact that, you know my feelings about GT5 and 6 which is that like that was a real dark period for Gran Turismo and I don't like those games yeah. I think I think Polyphony needed to take a step back and and take stock of everything and really figure out what they wanted it to be and I, I think GT Sport kind of allotted the series that that sort of um, opportunity and refre refreshed it and like reinvigorated it with new energy and now I'm really excited to see with the GT7, with all of the online multiplayer base being what GT Sport was, but then also 
throwing in those old school Gran Turismo career elements, what that's <clears throat> going to be. And I think I think that Gran Turismo is, a, is in a really, really good and solid place right now that it hasn't been since probably like 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of, one of the things you said about the online there is the fact that, you know, you, you go to the multiplayer and it's like three sessions that are starting at like 2 o'clock, 2.20 and 3 o'clock or whatever and you go, oh, it's it's 5 to 2. I can jump into a game, do a couple of laps to practice. I get ranked based on my time there and the game pulls me into the multiplayer session and you're in a session seamlessly and you come out again and then there's another race ready to go straight away. So you can spend an hour in an evening and you're basically just racing or driving the whole time. There's no waiting around in lobbies. You're not searching for games or waiting for something to, to get enough people together. The game pulls the community together into these three sessions. So there's always someone playing it. And I guess I guess Gran Turismo has a benefit of lots of people playing it because it's such a big game still. But still, they, you know, they, they took that and it works their strengths, right? And they made this this session that it's just brilliant. It's like an old, it's like the old Destiny or whatever. We can just jump into these games straight away really, really easily with no waiting around. It's brilliant. It's brilliant for that. I've always felt as if like GT Sport, Mario Kart and Rocket League have kind of ruined most racing game multiplayer games for me mm-hmm. because with all three of them you can just jump on and basically immediately be in a, a game unless if you're very unlucky in GT Sport you join in that half an hour window where there's no race starting. Right. Like, I just feel as if the immediacy of it is what makes you buy into it because I think like I've always kind of dabbled and trying to maybe join like racing leagues and all that type of thing and although that comes with the, the kind of more closely knit community that you get to enjoy and that type of thing whether you might find a racing league on gt planet or a website like that mm-hmm. i've always also been cautious of the fact that i do have kind of real a real world real world commitments like time constraints that type of thing so i always kind of think of the idea and then it never actually comes to fruition when gt sport released um, it was one of those ones where it basically ticked every box for me in the sense that close, mostly clean racing available on tap basically and mm-hmm. you get that from a kind of the Mario Kart thing that the like, Nintendo have always done a good job with that series in terms of being like listen, the game itself simple to the multiplayer system, system uh, simple you choose a character, we'll drop you in a match there's no settings to work through or matchmaking lobbies to kind of like kind of look through you just get dropped into a match and you race and that's perfect for mario kart i think it's the same with gran turismo i think like if you can have the kind of sportsmanship system and racing level system in place that facilitates that quick matchmaking it's just that it's perfect and it was what really started to get me to actually race a bit more seriously online as opposed to just sessions with friends which of course the game also Oh, it's okay. yeah. ticket off those boxes. I don't think, even at the time, I don't think GT Sport got the credit it deserved because it was just being kind of fobbed off as a, a kind of an iRacing clone or whatever, as if mm-hmm. like, you can't have a good matchmaking system because it, it's already in another game or sim. Um, and I think, like, looking back, if this is built upon in GT7, which we, we seemingly know it is, because the sport mode appears to be in there. Um, it's going to be one of those moments. It was that this is one of those things where Polyphony managed to nail it, and it'll only get better as time goes on as well. So I think like GT Sports' biggest accomplishment was putting that kind of racing experience that's half decent available for pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, one of the things you touched on there would be in the, um, the rating system, and it's you actually really care about it when you see your rating go up or down. You, you know, you're driving along mid-race, you can see it go up or down. And at the end of the session, you can see whether you've stayed the same or effectively gone up or down or whatever, and you care about it because it's, and everyone can see what you've done. And it's it just makes it feel much more important because it's fully integrated into the whole experience. It's cool. I feel like every series wants to get to the level of a GT Sport or something like that in terms of the online experience and how, how easy it is um, and just how all-encompassing it is. Like, you see those three races, you know that those are your choices for the day, and if you want to raise your standing, raise your driver level, um, you know, that that's going to be it. That's the arena in which you compete. I feel like a lot of games want to get to that level of that that degree of just you know sort of focus on competition focus on esports but they don't necessarily know how to do it i mean you know i can't help but think of like project cars 3 as an example of like when i want to race online in that game and it's just kind of like people just start their own lobbies but that game unfortunately doesn't really have the user base to support that so nothing ends up really happening i I feel like the proper way to do it is kind of the way that GT Sport has gone uh, gone for it, which also kind of pulls a page, uh, as you were saying, Brent, from iRacing, where it's like, here's when this race is going to be held, here's, here's how much time you have until it's going to begin, and, you know, in most games, it, it would kind of bother you to be like, oh, I have to wait around for like 15 or 20 minutes before this race starts and not do anything, but in GT Sport, you have that opportunity to qualify, so... <laughs> That really means that, like, anytime you see the race, and there's only there's only probably 20 minutes between every race anyway. Um, anytime that you see a race is about to happen, you know you can at least do, you know, two laps or ten laps or something like that to try and set a time. And you're always doing something, uh, but when you get into the race, you know that you're going to have a full grid. And I just really wish that you know developers would consider more instead of just being like you know we we want to we want to have that sort of community and online competition instead of just thinking like that's a destination we want to be at i i, I would like to see developers come up with more ideas about how to get there because that's often the part that's missing from a lot of these games is is the how to get there part it's just like oh we'll have you know private lobbies and public lobbies and people can do whatever they want it's like yeah but if you're not if you're not kind of focusing people down one path then that results in a lot of dispersed lobbies uh be it private or public where people are not racing with each other and you have three people in the race and that's not necessarily helpful either so um it's tough it's not easy i've seen with with dirt five uh it, it seems like for example with that game they're finally kind of coming around to uh, work on that they, they released a whole plan in terms of like uh, you know post-release updates a lot of that has to do with the multiplayer but but that's another case where I'm just like I want to enjoy this game online and and the way that it's been designed uh, makes it really hard for me to do that but that has never ever been the problem with GT Sport and it just you know if, if that piece had been missing the game would have been a failure because because it places so much on the online element yeah yeah I think, um, if you recall when the game first came out, there were some serious demon issues um, with the server contact because save files were stored in the cloud, or, mm -hmm. or still are still stored in the cloud, so um, I remember 
there were like instances of people's like, save files not updating if they'd been playing for a few hours, then reverting them back to what it had been prior to playing the game. And naturally, just because of the rapid shift in direction and the kind of whiplash that some of the longer term fans had from that, it was just this immediate kind of disregard for GT Sport that it was a failure. And um, the thing is, not, uh, once that narrative starts, it's very hard to stop. I think the um, game we always reference, Strike Club, is a good example of that, where if the, the kind of launch for an online focus game is botched, it can be very hard to right the ship. But the good thing is Gran Turismo just has so much goodwill towards it and it's a long-standing franchise that Polyphony, I think they were learning just as much as any of us were to adapt to this new style of Gran Turismo game. So yeah, um, it wasn't a smooth start, but I think there was enough there to see that this could grow into something potentially great. And then in, in typical Polyphony fashion, and it's something we do take for granted sometimes, the level of support that they've added in that game through yes. cars, tracks, like it would be a crime not to mention that side of it as well. Absolutely, yeah. That's kind of one of the things I was going to talk about next was the content delivery and uh, the only the only paid content they did in that three years was the uh, the Lewis Hamilton stuff, which was very cool. Uh, <laughs> but it was it every month you were getting free cars and sometimes you get a track or a game mode. They did the thing, the single player stuff as well, but it was always the cars. And, and Kaz put them on Twitter as silhouettes, and it always made fun. it was quite mystical and special. People working out what they were, and then the cars were out, and they were they were, they were all great. And you know, it's, yeah, incredible support. I'm thinking about things like other games that have done that, like Burnout Paradise, was a good example of how much support that game had after it came out. It was amazing. Uh, but yeah, GT was was cool, and even like up until recently, right? Then the new uh, the Yaris, uh, the GR, the four wheel drive cars got released and stuff. It's cool. It's good, man. It is a very polyphony thing, isn't it? Where I think they come out with a statement of some sort saying like, okay, we're dialing back kind of ending support yeah. for GT yeah. Sport and it's still like, here's a few cars, I will yeah. throw in another one, I go on then. <laughs> it's just like, they constantly keep going back and adding even more because Adam I always likes seeing your reactions because it's like, you always just seem so hyped whenever they add anything to this game. <laughs> I really do, I really do love GT Sport. So like, and, and it is... We always, people always talk about games as a service, right? It is to me, aside from iRacing, like the most successful racing game service that there is or has ever been. It's endlessly, and, and, and for a game to succeed as a service, it has to, as we've talked about, it has to work very smoothly in terms of the matchmaking, the multiplayer, the online, all of that. It has to have a very solid base in gameplay, which like, Okay, maybe, you know, you think GT Gran Turismo is too arcadey for to be a sim or, you know, whatever. But like for me, it's it's kind of the sweet spot for me. It's it's yeah. pretty forgiving, but I have a lot of fun playing that game. Um <clears throat> it looks incredible. It runs perfectly on PS4 Pro. Like that game is just every single goal that they could have set for it, they met. And yeah. after that they support it with so much content that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like if you look at overall playtime of all the games I've played in my life, GT Sport is in the top, you know, it's number one or number two or three. Because, like, for three years, you know, that game was a constant staple with me and two of my friends. We would play it every single, you know, at least once or twice a week. And then, you know, more so, definitely more often when the game originally came out, but even even as late as last year. And, uh, yeah, if they release a new car, 
you know, this week, I would go right back into it, just like I did when they came out with the RS, because I was so excited to drive that car. Um, yeah, they've, yeah. they've just totally aced that aspect of it. Yeah, it's a very well-balanced game, isn't it? Like you said, like visually, it's amazing, and uh, the, you know, it's not the most realistic handling game in the world, but it's, it is that sweet spot of it feeling authentic. And they, they make things like the um, the wind noises probably louder than it should be in real life because it gives you that emotion of feeling fast and going driving these cars on the track. And when we did it in our in our sessions when we played it, you know, the the, the GT2 cars around the Nurburgring, and like those cars are ridiculously powerful. But we drive them around and they feel authentic. But it's easy to play. It's an easy to play game and very accessible with a controller or with a wheel. It's amazing as well. You know, it's the balance the balance in that game is incredible. And like you say, visually still looks. Looks stunning. So it looks stunning three years on. It's cool. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll I'll play I'll play Project Cars three on PC, or uh, I'll dip into you know various games on PC, whether it's F one or or I mean, <clears> Dirt five is probably I feel like maybe the most impressive looking game visually on PC right now, and Gran Turismo Sport on the PS four Pro I think is still maybe the prettiest racing game there is because like. Yeah, I mean it doesn't uh, it doesn't do like ray tracing or anything crazy like that. It's pretty limited in terms of the hardware, but just like Polyphony has such uh, it's weird to talk about art direction with the sim, but like Polyphony is just so perfect yeah. at making things just making real life look as beautiful as it can. And yeah, uh, that game runs so it, it is impossible for me to overstate how smoothly that game runs. I mean, like mm -hmm. locked sixty frames. There, there. There is never a dropped frame or any moment where the game slows down. I mean, can you remember how chuggy and like generally awful GT5 was? Like how the shadows yes. would freak out and how like, you know, the the if there was ever like tire smoke or anything on the screen, like it was just like muddy and awful. Like GT Sport is a is a technical tour of the force and I mean that's something that has me really excited about about GT7. By seven, yeah, it's like I guess they have the benefit they don't have to they don't do dynamic weather yet. You know they have the wet track on some of the tracks, and then you know the ones they've picked and done, and then they have their the the time of day you choose, so they can tune that art to be exactly how they want it to be for that. They don't you know they don't have a a realistic system, which you know they don't have weather in a game and stuff. But that's that's not what they wanted to do. That you know their focus wasn't that. It was yeah, it works for them. And I think it it goes to show. You know, 10, 15 years ago, I feel like we were all of the mindset like, you know, we want every sim to have dynamic weather, dynamic time. These are things mm -hmm. that we need. And every time those things are introduced in the game, they're never the most, uh, you know, important thing to me. The The only time that they ever, I, I ever feel like they really elevated the sass of a game in my head was Drive Club, and Drive Club was not a sim. It was just the fact that they they did it so well and the weather was so well done in that game yeah um, the rain looked pretty that, yeah um, and and ultimately it's like if you can provide a smoother more consistent experience by not having those things maybe don't have them you know i don't think mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with that uh like I, I was playing project cars 3 the other day and i i think they, they have a pretty good thing going in that game in terms of um just the the dynamic those dynamic aspects and the fact they have the multiple seasons but you do see it reflected in the way that the game renders certain things like for example when you're on like the Nordschleife I mean they have to render the Nordschleife with four different seasons right so like 
you kind of look, uh, especially the one, I don't remember what it's called, but you know the one part of the track where um, you can't go over that bridge and you see the town, um, and then you see like the, the, the hill of trees like right above you to your right. Um, right. It's all uh, just kind of the, it's, it's a cardboard trees, which obviously like a lot of games have to do that up there because the Nurburgring is so many trees, but like it's all in that X pattern and you can actually see where it intersects with each other when you look back and it's like, ugh. It doesn't look good. And I know I'm, I'm the kind of person who obsesses over these things. I know most people don't obsess over these things. But um, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I have always been someone who thinks that um, the more focused, the smaller but more focused and quality experience is endlessly more preferable to the bigger uh, experience of varying quality. And mm-hmm. I like that, especially after GT5 and GT6 days of... 1200 cars and most of them are from the ps2 and all the old tracks and all that crap i like that they just decided you know what we're gonna do we're going to make the best we're going to make the best possible game we can make and and in doing so just kind of limit it to what works yeah Uh, i really think a lot of developers could learn from that too and and the same can be said for damage as well right i mean gt sport has damage sort of and some scratches and stuff but that's not what that game's about, you know. They don't, you know, some games really need it or benefit from it and stuff, but that wasn't what they did. And they've never really done damage, have they? Obviously, Grand Prix, that's been a long-standing thing for them, but it's just it's not an important focus for them to do, so they don't do it. Yeah, I think we we have the titles now that can offer that type of experience that wants mm-hmm. to focus on them, the hyper-realistic elements, like I say, of course, that competizione nails both those elements we just talked about there, whether it be weather um, or, or the damage side of things. Like That's a game that's crafted on the basis of those things being incredibly important to its overall experience. So that's a more confined experience between those two kind of specific categories of race driving, so they can offer that. Whereas, for as great as Polyphony is, like trying to apply a standardised dynamic weather system across all of those many tracks that included um, damage across the many, many cars, which there are still a lot of, even if it's not the, the stupid astronomical numbers of the PS3 era. Um, <laughs> I still feel as if nowadays, I think that the reason that those kind of elements get less focus is because those experiences are available in a capacity that would probably be better than Polyphony's effort, not from the sense of or Polyphony aren't capable of doing a fantastic dynamic weather and time system or a damage system, but just from the, the, the kind of logistics of actually implementing that on a game as large as Gran Turismo, it, it's a huge ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you go and watch, I mean, these are these are old videos, but, you know, I always sing the praises of Digital Foundry, and they did a great video, I think around the time probably Gran Turismo Sport came out, where they compared it to Forza 7 uh, from a visual and technical standpoint and just how they achieve what they achieve. And, you know, they they lay it out perfectly. I mean, the way Polyphony approach things, you have these kind of baked environments with, with the shadows kind of built in. They're not, there's no need to dynamically alter anything. So they can just optimize and optimize uh, mm-hmm. what they want to, to just deliver you know the smoothest possible experience and when you play that game on ps4 pro uh it's funny because i have like the they have the quality mode and the performance mode like a lot of games play i have a 1080p tv so i wouldn't get really anything from the quality mode because you know it's gonna super sample and i've never felt that super sampling really does that much on a on an hd display 
So I go for the performance mode, which actually like it's amazing because all it does is it. I mean, it. I'm, I'm sure the game runs a little bit smoother, but the thing you notice for the most part is that it adds a uh, like a per pixel motion blur, basically around the fringes of the screen. Uh, and I know that motion blur is kind of a dirty word for some people, uh, particularly who who play games that are very competitive. Um, I know even if you play like a like a really competitive like first person shooter or something like that, people will say that like motion blur sucks because it obscures what you can see. I love it. I think like anytime a game does motion blur well, it's like my favorite thing. Uh, I, yes. I still think back to like PGR three was like the first time that I encountered motion blur in a game, and it was just incredible inspiring yeah. so yes. what, when you run gt sport in the performance mode it is it's just so pretty yeah yeah and the stuff like that hdr support even now is is very very good yep. so thinking about what they're doing going to be doing for seven on ps5 it's uh yeah it's exciting to say the least uh, and things like their presentation as well like i know some people don't like their menus and stuff but it's so slick it's the way it's presented and the way it oozes the sort of love that they have for cars and you can tell that they love cars so much the way it's you know the loading screens have got the slowly rotating cars and it, it just feels special it feels like important and and then when you do the sort of the rank the fully you know the really special ranked multiplayer races where you 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 go to a manufacturer for that week and and then you introduce the cars, and you get the cars coming out of the garret, you know, the the, uh, the back of the truck, and all that sort of stuff. It just feels nice. It makes it feel like an important thing. It's cool. They just do a really nice. It is, again, it's about emotion, I think, and they do they do such a good job of that. It makes you feel good. Game. It's a nice place to be. It's a nice place. It's a nice game to play. It's the only racing game series that I feel like ever understood that you can be a simulator and you can be kind of a an artistic statement at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that any relatively realistic racing game has ever nailed that, as well as Gran Turismo. Uh, I don't think anyone really tries. I mean, I think I think maybe some games have come in the past where it's like, oh, we're gonna show you like a slowly spinning Ferrari on like the on like the main menu, and then we're gonna put like opera music behind it. But it's like that's as far as it goes, and it's just like very. It's almost like there's no thought put into it, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like some series kind of look at it as like, oh, let's just, you know, uh, let's let's just kind of focus on on just like the car, right? As like the idea of like, you know, once once you see, uh, I don't really know how to put this, but just like that, we we don't we don't really need to um, kind of dress it up in anything, right? It's just like, you know, you have an appreciation for cars, we expect as a player, right? So if we just, you know put these cars in the game and render them at the highest detail isn't that enough uh, gran turismo does that but it goes a step further it it just mm-hmm. like i yes. mean the music uh in in the in the main menus and stuff like that um the, the whole brand central thing as you say and i think that was that was really something forged like gt4 was really the first game in the series to to really take it to that level um which is one of the reasons i i always appreciate gt4 uh, yeah, but yeah. I, I would just love to see someone else try that. You know, I think it's something that this genre could really use. But I also think that maybe, you know, maybe it isn't an, an issue of uh, of budget. You know, because for the most part, like it's hard enough to make it a good sim that's you know accurate and playable and fun. Uh, mm-hmm. It's even harder to then find the time to 
do all these really amazing presentation things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time and budget, yeah, it would be, a, yeah, typically, I guess. <laughs> one, one of the things that we lo I love about when you start a race and it does that deep, that blurring effect of the car, and yeah, you, the car comes in out, out of focus from the front and the back, and oh, it's just so cool. It's so special. Uh, I love how when you're in the moving screen, you see like the the interior and the exterior view of the car at the yeah. same time. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things it does that could be improved, and like we've experienced that ourselves. You know, you know, you set your online lobby up. You can't invite your friends to it; they have to come in. The tire selection stuff is just, that they're still not they're still not fixed. Like three, what three years later, you know, where <laughs> the hose changed the tires and doesn't change everyone's tires. Everyone has to go into the car and do it themselves, all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> it is funny that they've never once Gran Turismo uh, has never adopted just the PlayStation lobby invite system. Since day yeah. one, it's like you have to go into the game's menus and sort by friends who are playing the game uh, and then join that way. I can't just do what I do in every single other PlayStation game and just send you an invite. Uh, I, I don't know why they've gone that route. I I don't know if it's like a philosophical thing on Polyphony's part or if it's just like the way they've designed things. There's there's just a, a roadblock there. Um it works well enough, but it's funny they don't even tell you that, you know? The the first yeah. experience everyone always has when they play a Grand Turismo game online is like, wait, why is there no invite button? <laughs> and then and then you have to like kind of dig through the menus and find it in the game rather than like in the PlayStation uh you know, OS. It's funny. That's right. I and mean, maybe with PS5 they'll have that the player card system, you know, on the front end of the PS5 where it'll say, you know, a player is your you know, your friend is playing the session join him straight away maybe they'll have some art but hey you know who knows uh yeah yeah um yeah i mean that it's really everything i have to say about gt sport i don't know if either of you have uh, have parting thoughts um you know we've talked about this game a lot obviously but um yes. it's yeah. uh it's just one that i think when we look back I don't. I don't think it's gotten the credit it really deserves, and I think that when yeah. we look back, it's going to be more remembered more fondly, uh, you know, looking back into the past than it is maybe in this moment. Yeah, I would agree. I think like, um, because there, there wasn't a mainline game on the PlayStation Four, I think that kind of initial bitterness some people will have who just didn't get on with GT Sport will have that now but I think over time it will be looked at more fondly but also over time it'll also be deprecated and unplayable in a large part <laughs> so I guess yeah. it's a bit of a double-edged sword in that regard but yeah I mean closing thoughts wise I also just wanted to bring up the the way in which they decided to handle like the kind of racing classifications within the game having proprietary like group four group three um mm -hmm. type racing that's something that i really enjoyed because it builds up that this is gran turismo's version of motorsport world as opposed to this is the real world motorsport being replicated i know some people might not like that but i like to think it just gives gran turismo once again that bit that little bit more personality where you're like i wonder who polyphony are going to make the beetle fit into this class and that type of thing and they they come out with those original designs. It's really fun. Um, for me, that's what I would prefer over something like Vision Gran Turismo. Um, I feel as if this is a more kind of palpable motorsport possible variance of road cars or something that Gran Turismo has always done well. And actually kind of 
making that into the core focus of the game is something really cool when you think about it. It's also quite well balanced. Um, I mean, some people would take objection to that, but look around. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any game in any genre that's like perfectly balanced. There's always a, a gun in, a, in an FPS that's like stronger than other guns or whatever. I think Gran Turismo, for the most part, is pretty balanced. Uh, GT Sport, and I think like, okay, when there's a car in a class, like say the Magan in Group Four, that's like too strong, there'll usually be an update that will knock it down a few pegs. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. it's yeah. kind of always changing. It's not like, you know, the days of, I remember when I played Forza 4 on the Xbox 360, and if you wanted to win every race, all you had to do was, like, modify uh, a Viper ACR to have an all-wheel drive drivetrain, and that was it. You you were, at that point, you, you won the game. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, they, they, they do they do kind of switch things up, so you it does bring skill to the forefront as opposed to just, you know, get in the best car and win everything. And I've got the balance of power, which works nicely without feel, making the field car sort of the cars feel all the same. The cars all feel different, but they're they're matched nicely with that with that function. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah. So so we're all on board then. GT Sport is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also we have to say like it's it's a go-to game whenever we try to get people together. You know, not talking about like the big like the the TG events or anything like that, yeah, but yeah. just when we're trying to get the community together. It's a game that everyone has. It's a game everyone knows. Um, and that just makes it kind of easy to just put together a lobby on whatever night. I mean, a lot of yeah. cases in the in the in the Gran Turismo or sorry, in the Time Extend community, it'll just be like, "Hey, you guys want to play tonight?" And it'll just happen. Um, I'm not usually there because you know I'm a bunch of hours behind everyone. But um, I'm glad I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that's kind of become that thing uh, because yeah, there's yeah. I don't really think there's anything else that can take its place. I don't think so. Like we said before, already said it's it's an easy it's an easy game to play, but it feels you know it's exciting and it's it's just, it's just that right balance. It's just a nice place to be. Like I said, it's cool. It's um, yeah, a special game. GT is. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really wanting to play some GT Sport now. I think <laughs> yeah, I might go do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Paul, thank you so much for joining us for this for this segment. Uh, always great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you again for inviting me. It was very kind. I was almost going to talk about Rage Racer, actually, especially as you've got it as uh, the new art. Because uh, Rage Racer is oh, that's a brilliant game. Maybe, maybe we'll ever... have to have you back on for a Rage Racer episode, because that's one that we've, I think, I, I forget, but like we've never really talked about. We've had shows for R4, and we've had like, well, actually, we had the whole Rage Racer show, really. But we kind of brushed mm -hmm. over Rage, I feel like. So I think that's yeah. what we need to dig into. Yeah, I think it never gets talked about as much. Cause maybe because it's not a numbered one. Other than, other than Revolution wasn't either, I suppose. But yeah, it always gets left out, I think, in the conversation somewhat. So that'd be cool. <laughs> it's the it's the grungiest, most emo Ridge Racer. And therefore, in my opinion, that makes it the best. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so we are back with another segment, and uh, unfortunately, Brendan could not be here for this one uh, because even though to you it sounds like you know we did these all back to back, we actually recorded these weeks apart. Uh, but that's okay because we still have a guest, and the guest is none other than the illustrious Jason Lamp. Jason, how's it going? Hey, you, pull over. <laughs> <laughs> Full Sega mode as always. How's it been? Yeah, the, the funny thing about that is the audio quality is like so fuzzy when you're like talking over Discord that you basically <laughs> sound like the guy from Radmobile there. Oh, that works out though. That, that my job is done. <laughs> that was exactly what I was going for. You did it, man. You made it. So, so much for, nostalgia for Radmobile, but <laughs> keep going. There are so many games to talk about. There are so many games we could have talked about. And, and uh, you know, we gave you a choice because, as with everybody, you know, you get to choose the game. And you had an interesting one for us that I was not expecting. So, so tell us, uh, tell me, tell the listeners, what game are we going to chat for a little bit about today? So, we're going to chat about... One of the Saturn racers that I think is a little underrated in recent days, uh, F1 Challenge, also known as F1 Live Information in Japan. Love the name an F1 earlier Live Saturn Information. Game. Yep. <laughs> Live Information is the best. Sounds All like of a the collection news of Formula of... One today. <laughs> it sounds like a collection of PDFs. <laughs> <laughs> Interview with Formula One for the Sega Saturn. <laughs> right. So but no, I know F1 Challenge was a game me and you had played, and I have huge nostalgia goggles for F1 Challenge. I can just always talk about it. It's a it's a hidden gem on this system, you know. The the Saturn, I think the Saturn has its reputation for really being a, a, a racing game fan system, and honestly, I don't really know if I totally agree with it, having played most of the games because mm-hmm. most of them are not. You know, you think like, oh, Sega Rally, but it's like they're not all at like Sega Rally caliber. Um, but now, have you played most of the U.S. ones? Have you played any of the import ones? I've played some of the import ones. I've played the, uh, you know, I've played Gale Racer, aka Radmobile. I've played the, okay. uh, I've played the, uh, you know, uh, the one of the two gay games, the sequel to like two gay King okay, Spirit. Okay, King Two. Uh, I played the uh, whatever the hell. The other one that's uh, not Toge King, but like the other series. Oh, uh, is it Shitoku? Yeah, the Wangin, the Genki games, Shitoku. Yeah, I guess it was Shitoku like 97 or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tokyo Highway Battle. Yes. That, that one's yeah. basically Tokyo Highway Battle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I find that they're, they're very hit or miss. You know, there are games that they always seem to not be quite there. You know, I would actually say that when I think of my favorite Saturn racers that weren't made by Sega, um, I go to this. I go to the Port of Wipeout, which runs at a slower frame rate than the PS1 version, sure, but it's the same game mm-hmm. and it and it still plays really well. It's got a good soundtrack. Hey, Wipeout one, and they even got Wipeout 2097. Wipeout yes. 2097 came out on Saturn. Although not here, and also that version runs at an even lower frame rate. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen recording of that game, and it is it looks hard to play. It looks like it looks oh, like Wipeout it, in slow motion. 
It, it's I've burned a copy. It is hard to play. I've even burned <laughs> the Japanese copy, and it still runs a little slow. But yeah, when it comes to like Saturn racers, the ones I usually have in mind are F1 Challenge always comes first in mind. Then Manx TT, mm. Manx uh, TT Rally 95, passing the checkpoint. Passing the <laughs> I love that one. Welcome that, to the exciting world of TT racing. <laughs> the Evangelion intro, the best. <laughs> yes. Uh, I had played that a lot in the arcades back in the day. So there was an arcade at a mall by me that as Sega stuff was coming out, we'd get like all the new Sega stuff that was coming out. Like when the Model 2 games were coming out, like Sega Rally, uh, Touring Car, Daytona, those were there. They had Sega Super GT, Daytona, Manx TT Superbike. And then just over the years, like, I got to play the really high-end Sega racers as they came out. And then the Saturn ports just were an extension of that. Yeah. Yeah, I find F1 Challenge's existence uh, interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that it's a Sega Sports-branded game, at least it was in the West, mm -hmm. uh, even though it was not developed by Sega. Um yeah, and it's one and if, of those even if cases, I remember right, Sega Sports was only on the intro. I don't even think it was on the box, or it might have been on the box. I don't have the box with me. I think I think it was on the box, but I can't quite remember. That's weird. Um, yeah. What's What's strange about it is it's one of those games from the time. Like it's easy to forget, but like there would be a lot of cases where you know Sega would publish a game, which they did publish this in in the U.S. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. assuming in Europe too, but where Sega would publish a game and they would kind of assume responsibility for it. Like you'd see like Sega Sports and it's like, ah, oh, Sega made this, you know, what, what studio was it? But uh, it wasn't Sega that was behind the development of this. Um, and it's really hard to find out who it is because it's not like it's not entirely listed in the anyway. game yeah. listed. It's not, I don't know if the game even has credits. It's not on the box. But uh, from the research I did years ago, because as it turns out, if you look up F1 Challenge online, uh, I think the first two results are both you and I, because I think we're like the <laughs> only people who have ever written about this game. And I did for a very old blog that also has a name That's time extend. And you did for Sega Nerds. And, uh, uh, yeah, I did back when we were Sega Nerds. That was like yeah. one of the... So me and the, me and Chris, our editor, we've always like talked about, oh, well, what would be good coverage for this month or the next couple of months? And we'd like plan out those racing game articles. And just one week, I had started replaying F1 Challenge. And I'm like, you know what? I think this game might be like really high in there for terms of like Saturn racers. And I just mm -hmm. had to write something about it. Yep. Like, just a love letter to F1 Challenge, if you will. Yeah, and, and like I said, if it wasn't for us, um, this game would be totally lost to the ether. Uh, so, so everyone thank us. No. Um, but, well, you but, know what uh, I find funny <laughs> is that I, I tweeted you out in that video of the intro, and then somebody responded like, oh, is this the same one on PlayStation? Yes. And I just instantly... We have things to talk about, <laughs> which is which is very funny because so that's the other reason. So 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 to finish what I was saying at first, like yeah. the developer for this game was a company by the name of Bell Corporation, which mm -hmm. you wouldn't know from anything else. As it turns out, Bell Corporation was an earlier iteration of what would be known as Imagineer, 
And the Imagineer, Ooh, MRC Imagineer is responsible for MRC. They're responsible for GT64 Championship Edition, I believe, as well. Yep. Um, and the Imagineer is they are they they are good fucking shit. Uh, I don't know. Shout out to an Imagineer <laughs> title I really love. I'm sorry to cut you off, no, but it's fine. GT Racing on the Super Famicom is a really fun Imagineer title that I've always gone back to. Hmm. They published a couple games in the Super Nintendo Super Famicom era, and they were mostly like sports car racing games. But GT Racing is pretty fun. It's mode seven, and you get to drive like an Alfa Romeo 155 and a Supra, and just like crazy consumer cars. Hmm. Okay, that's that's cool. I know they did other stuff. I know they did a lot of stuff for um, Nintendo platforms, but since I don't really have much experience with the SNES, I haven't really played it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they seem to be, you know, it's funny because like with MRC, right? It was them and Genki, and I don't know, uh, I think it was them, what Genki, What the other and, over was on them? Yeah, and I, it was them, Genki, and Ocean, and Ocean was the publisher. So, yeah. I don't really know how much they, they lent to that versus Genki, but um, them with uh, with GT64, it was Imagineer and Ocean again, so clearly Imagineer and Ocean had some kind of relationship, and mm-hmm. um, Ocean was... I, for the longest time, I didn't know anything about them, but they're British, so I, I guess, like, you know, <laughs> British company finding the yep. best racing games coming out of Japan, it makes sense. Ocean uh, had a lot of deals with a lot of different uh, companies to publish racing games. I know they published a couple of the V-Rally games on Game Boy and other stuff like that. And you yeah. have companies like Titus re-releasing Lamborghini. Titus. But- <laughs> But yeah, that shocks me how that, like, like I didn't do as much deep diving as you did into this, because this is the first I'm hearing Imagineer had anything to do with Bell Corporation. Yeah, I just knew it as Bell Corporation. Yeah, I don't know. Now, I'm looking at an article that I wrote 10 years ago, which is crazy. <laughs> um, and yeah, I seem to think that they were related. I wouldn't have made that up, but I can't give you the source on where I found that 10 years ago. Fair um, enough. Hey, that's more of a source than I have. I'll take it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so so anyway, like, Bell Corporation, which may or may not be, rela- be related to Imagineer, uh, the, the other interesting thing about this game is that you might wonder how there was an F1 game on the Saturn while there was also an F1 series on the PlayStation, and, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't always work this way, but a lot of the times you have exclusivity deals with, uh, with licensed, you know, sports uh, organizations mm-hmm. and stuff, right? You um, do. As it turns out, uh, and I mean, it's, it's, this isn't really hidden. It's right, it's right there on the box, actually. Uh, whereas the Pignosis Formula One series on the PlayStation, uh, that had full backing from Formula One via the FIA, uh, F1 Challenge was not technically like an FIA licensed game it was actually licensed by FOCA which was uh, at the time uh, that was the Formula One Constructors Association so it's almost like how there were some I can't remember exactly what sports there were but in the 90s I feel like the early 2000s sometimes you would have like a baseball game right it's like this isn't licensed by the MLB but it is licensed by the MLB MLB Players Association uh, which is very strange, but that's how they were able to get a couple of cars, uh, licensed F1 cars in this game, and drivers. Um, you don't have the full grid to select from. You don't have all of the tracks, 
And even though they use the F1 name, uh, there's no like official F1 logo or anything like that in the game. But it's, it's just interesting how they were kind of able to find a loophole to get some licensed F1 content in there. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm, it makes me wonder if it worked out easier for the Japanese version to get the license than the US one. And then they just brought it over eventually. But yeah, you only have three of the courses, and the other three courses... I like to say are in a weird type Ridge Racer format where they're all interconnected. Yeah. yeah. And I think you'd agree with me on that. But yeah, surprisingly a lot of co a lot of licensed content for a small arcade Formula 1 racer. Originally exclusive for the Saturn. Right. Yeah, I should say I'm watching I'm watching the intro now, which is a hilarious intro in and of itself. Aww. And uh there, there is an FIA Formula One Championship logo in the intro, but that's the only time mm -hmm. you ever see it. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's a strange game because, yeah, what they what they basically did was like, if you want a full F1 simulation for, you know, 1996 or whatever year this came out, uh, the PlayStation versions of, you know, the PlayStation F1 games are kind of where it's at. They, they have all the tracks. They have even the graphics, the uh, the official Formula One graphics from the time. When you, if you were watching on TV, um, they have all of the cars, all of the teams, all of the tracks. But if you want like a more arcadey experience, this was it because you had six drivers, uh, six teams. There were six tracks, but as you say, three of them were made up and also kind of shared elements of each other. And the game also isn't. I wouldn't say it, it, it drives very, uh, you know, very much in an arcadey way. It's it's not hard. You know, it's it's, it's a pretty forgiving, especially compared to a lot of Saturn racers that had kind of janky physics. Um, it's just a very solid, consistent experience. Uh, and there's not a ton to it, but... There's just something cool about, especially like going to a track like Hockenheim the way it used to be, or going to Suzuka, getting in like, uh, you know, Schumacher's Benetton from whatever year this was. I think it was '95, and yeah. going for a drive, and it's it's kind of like you, you wonder how many, just because you think about you think a lot about the arcade racers from this time, and it, it just kind of makes you wish that there could have been more games of this style, like taking a real series a real licensed series and applying sort of a more forgiving, more fun sort of handling model uh, and physics to it. For me, F1 Challenge has always been just one of those fast and fun arcade racers I could always pop in. Like, the handling's not perfect, but it works well enough with a controller or a 3D pad because the 3D pad emulates the wheel, and you could technically have analog steering that way. I think it works with F1 Challenge and Hang On GP. Hang on GP95, whatever the hang on sequel yeah, was. Yeah, hang on GP95. <clears throat> but it's like one of those like Indy 500 or like this game where you just take a series and just your own fictional spin on it that's fast and fun and plays well and it like feels good to race the courses. Yeah, and, and I think that's the that's my lasting feeling about when challenges. This game is just very it's very consistent. It's not like you know, it's not the most engaging handling in the world. It's not the most engaging racing in the world. 
But you have to really think back, and this is why I said earlier, like, a lot of people say, like, oh, Sega Saturn, so many great racers. It's like, nah, like, some of them were really jank. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, Togeking the Spirits, um, but I have just as hard a time drifting in that game, uh, even more so as I did, like, in any Ridge Racer. Um, Daytona CCE doesn't have fantastic handling. Uh, Hang On GP95 is a mess. Um, there uh, are lots Sega of touring car. Sega is touring car place. is a mess. There are lots of games that are just hard to enjoy because you know you just don't know how the car is going to react. The physics aren't really solid. You know, not not every game certainly can be uh, Sega Rally '95. And so the thing about F1 Challenge is like, okay, it's not the most exciting game in the world. However, you always know what the car is going to do. It's very straightforward. If there's ever an issue with, you know, I don't know, if if, if you ever uh, make a mistake, you never blame it on the game or the physics. It's just, it's all right there for The you. only thing I feel that I blame myself when playing F1 Challenge is accidentally turning on the rear view camera and yeah. having the game run at 10 frames per second. <laughs> but otherwise, <laughs> I can always get down with F1 Challenge. Like, I could sit down, I'll put it on hard mode, and I'll just, oh, all right. Let me run through Suzuka, Monaco, and Neo City, like, medium. And, like, the original courses are fun to race, too. Like, the second one where you go under the bridge through that tunnel on the mountain, it just has, like, that virtual racing vibe of, like, Big Forest or Bay Bridge. And yeah. it's, like, essentially, I feel, like, I don't know if this is a, would be a weird way to call it, but it's basically Ridge Racer for Formula One. Yeah, like I mean, there's, there's like no one was for a Formula One game. Yeah, there's no like drifting or anything like that. But in terms of the, the unless you let yourself lose grip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, it is especially when you're driving those Neo City tracks. Um, yeah, it, it's funny you bring up the rearview mirror because that is something I wanted to bring up as well. And basically, there is this. You can't even really call it a rearview mirror because while it is that it kind of takes the appearance of more of a picture-in-picture in, picture in the top right corner of your screen, and yep. it takes up a lot of space. And unlike a lot of games that would have rearview mirrors, the rearview mirror in F1 Challenge, um, they really don't cut down the level of detail between what you know is in front of you and in, in the main screen and then what's in the rearview mirror. So the game is essentially like rendering the same thing twice uh and because of that the the frame rate literally gets halved uh consistently just you cuts can't, instantly yeah and you can't you know there's there's no moment where it goes up and approaches like the regular frame rate so like while there is a rear view mirror there uh you almost never want to use it and what's also weird is that in f1 live information it wasn't a rear view mirror it was more like a tv camera like the PlayStation Formula One games. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. I actually haven't watched any footage of, of F1 Live information, just F1 Challenge. Well, yeah, I guess I guess that's where the name comes from, at least I would think, because if you hit the uh, rear view button in that version, you, the little picture-in-picture -picture window that pops up is more like a camera around your car than a rear view like it is in the US and I would assume the European versions. I haven't played the European one. I've only played the US one. And yeah, so, a little bit of the Japanese. 
a few things about the F1 Live information portion. Um, th that version of the game, that Japanese release, had a very um, TV-centric focus because it was actually something kind of skipped over earlier. The way that they got the the FOCA license was through Fuji Television, and even up uh, until I'd imagine that even up until like probably 2008 or 2011 or something like that. If you ever watch like the Japanese Grand Prix, it was all it was the one race a year that was actually not produced um, by FOM, you know, Formula One management. Yeah, it, would uh, be it was Fuji. produced by Fuji. I mean, you still you have the same whatever commentaries you normally have, but in terms of who's on the camera filming, it was always Fuji TV. Somehow, uh, their agreement with the FIA or with FOM, they were able to retain that for a number of years. And then, I, to my understanding, that's not the way it is anymore. But um, well, that I feel. Yeah. See, so a trend I know of in Japan is Japanese Formula One games, like Human Grand Prix and F1 yeah. Grand Prix and such like that. A lot of those, I feel, got the form didn't get the full Formula One license, but got as much as they could license through Fuji. That that's how it would work out business wise. Yeah, that would make sense, uh, and it was really a power play for them to be able to use the F one license as they kind of pretty much as they wanted. Um, another aspect to the F one Live Information uh, version of the game is that. Like you're saying, and, and I'm watching a video of it now. You have uh, you have the picture in picture, which is not the rearview mirror. It, it, it's showing the car from above, essentially. And you also have uh, commentary. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that the people who are providing commentary, I'm actually not listening to it at this moment. I'm assuming they're probably Fuji TV personnel, maybe maybe people that you know uh, F1 fans in Japan would recognize at the time. Uh, but that is another aspect of the game that was cut. And um, there even appears to be, and I was not aware of this, uh, there's a Grand Prix mode in the Japanese version of this game. What? Yeah. I just totally might have to get the Japanese cut. version. They totally cut the Grand Prix mode from the, uh, from the Western release. And I don't really know um, how, you know, that kind of factors into the game i don't really know how it works is it you just go through all six courses or whatever and then they tally up points i have no idea but lots of things yeah, cut. i might have <laughs> to look into that because that is a lot of con content for this game that surprises me like i know it came out as just budget arcade racer for the most part it definitely uh gives it a little more context and makes you realize like Okay, so that's why there's like an endurance racing mode in this game, you know? And that's why there's like yeah. tire wear loss or tire, you know, grip loss. And, and even then, the races hitting. are kind of long for a, for an arcade racer. I mean, eight laps. It does get a little long. Yeah. My bad to cut you off. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, a couple other interesting things. In the uh, Japanese version, they renamed... Uh, Neo City, well, I guess this was the original name. Instead of the Neo City tracks, they're called Sega Motorsports Land. Or Sega Ooh. Motorland. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. There's a lot of this I did not know. A lot of this you know what that know. makes me think? I feel like there's just this weird Sega, like, Formula One quadrilogy. So hear me out here. Of 
Super Monaco GP, and then the deal they worked out with Senna and Formula One for Monaco GP2. Then there was F1 Exhaust Note and F1 Super Lap. And, uh, in this game, like, the Formula One Sega connection just goes deeper and deeper, don't you think? Yeah. Well, they were sponsoring the race, uh, was it the, the 1990, well, was Senna, Senna was still there. So I guess, I think it was a 93 European GP at Donington where they had the, mm. uh, Sonic trophy. So, yeah, Sega definitely had a close relationship with F1, obviously had a close relationship with Senna. Um, another thing is, as I'm watching footage of this game, I really want to call attention to is the... Uh, while I feel like the environments and the tracks are kind of... They're fine. You know, they're fine for a Saturn mm -hmm. racer. The 3D modeling work on the cars, uh, to me, this is some of the best low-poly... Uh, car the best low poly car car models I've ever seen. Like they're really pretty uh, for you know obviously how rudimentary they are. They're very colorful. They look fantastic. They they look probably even better than the than the uh, F1 cars in Pignosis's game. And before every race, there's kind of like a, a pre race screen right where you can like set the wings. Oh, you're talking you about the up. little garage. Yeah. yeah, and you can set up, um, you know, which tires you want to use, how much fuel you want to carry, and you kind of just get to, as you go through these different things, it changes the camera, the pivot around the car. These cars just look so good. I, I would, I would love nothing more than to see an F1 game made with like low poly models like this because they just so... look perfect. Funny story relating to that mode. Well, I wouldn't even call it a mode, but I'd call it like a menu. Every time I go to start a race, I always get that weird Namco Museum effect of, I want to walk around and look at all the low-poly things. And like, it looks really detailed for low-poly Saturn. Yeah. And I just love the look of the cars and the modeling in this game. Because if you look at if certain angles, if you look at it, it's basically your pit box. And you can see like that it's the outside, and that's your pit box, and you're tuning yeah. up your car beforehand. And it's just that little added bit of feel to the game. Yeah, I think a lot of the effort. I think a lot of the effort in the modeling went into the cars. Uh, now, the funny thing is, like when you're in the race, you've got 24 cars on on track in this game, and obviously, you know, the Saturn is not showing you, showing all of them to you at once. But having so many cars on you know, on the track, uh, really kind of, you know, makes it difficult to, uh, to render everything. And so you do have like the level of detail of your car in the race is obviously less than when you're in that garage screen, but even so, I mean, everything looks good. I really like the cockpit camera. It's a, it's a combination of, um, like bitmap sprites and also the, the top, but the tires are polygonal. So the tires will move. Uh, and they're polygonal, but the cockpit portion and the nose are all sprites, uh, sprite-based. And they just really seem to be, you know, uh, very efficient about the way in which they use the Saturn's power. Because obviously, you know, the Saturn was not an easy system to to maximize. <laughs> I, I'd go as far as to say that it has that arcade Super Monaco GP feel. Where the dashboard's stationary, but the tires and hands move. Yeah. Well, there's Even no. You don't see the wheel in F1 Challenge. But yeah, you there's see no the tires wheel. Turn at least. There's no wheel or hands, but it is pretty. 
it's impressive even just how much like the tires move because they also move lather or uh, uh, not just laterally but also up and down vertically. So, and you will see the um, you know the the uprights and the the sort of you know the arms. You'll see connecting. the suspension bounce up and down. Yeah, not so much suspension, but you'll not bounce. But you'll see the arms. You'll see the arms move up and down with the tires, and that's kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, it's just. I just remembered what Sega CD game I was thinking about. I'm sorry to cut you off, Adam, but Formula 1. Formula 1 Beyond the Limit was the other game I was thinking of in that F1. Because that was around the same time as they sponsored that Grand Prix, if I remember right. Would have been, yeah, especially Sega CD as well. Yeah, all right, so continue what you were saying. My bad. (laughs) No, I was going to say, I I think back to certain games that had the interior views, like, before you could really you had really the horsepower to do it all with polygons like need for speed uh one and two were great with that you know you would just have the the 2d interior of the car and that's all you need it was very high quality because you know once you got to the 3do saturn playstation era and cd-roms on pcs you could have very very detailed bitmap graphics and you know, that's something I even wish, like, Gran Turismo could have done for, like, the standard cars in, like, GT5 yeah. and GTPSP. Or even uh, the original, like, Colin McRae 1 and 2, how they had interior views. Yeah. Trying to do that that early back then. Like, it was an interesting time. <laughs> so, so I'm watching, uh, I've still got this video playing, and uh, someone's lapping in the F1 Live information version of the game, someone's lapping Monaco, and they bring up the... Um, picture in picture and I don't know if it's supposed to be their teammate or if it's a glitch but basically they're driving the Benetton and <laughs> I guess the picture in picture is showing maybe it's the other Benetton maybe it's showing your teammate but they are parked at like um, uh, what's what's the what's the corner they're parked at like the Piscine in Monaco and they're not yeah. moving <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great yeah one of my favorite little things about F1 Challenge is that when you always hit the side rail, it does that like wipe out, like sound. Mm-hmm. And you just hear it echo as you hit like three cars at once because everybody's stopped at the last Monaco corner or everybody gets bunched up at the chicane. Yeah. Like this game's not the most realistic in any sense, but it's just a really fun arcade racer. It's solid. And yeah, I would say that um, if you have a Saturn and you have never. Uh, played it or you don't own it give it a shot I have no idea what's going for these days I can't imagine much because it's a racing game Um, but last I checked it was at least like 15 20 bucks that's affordable for a Saturn racing game either as information or F1 challenge maybe go for live information because there's not a lot of Japanese in this game so if you know if you if you don't know Japanese it's definitely it easy to understand it doesn't really seem to be holding you back you get that Grand Prix mode and you get the uh, <laughs> this weird picture in picture thing that I keep I seeing. just remembered we forgot to talk about one of F1 Challenge's best points what, what would that how be? hard that soundtrack rocks oh yeah it's true <laughs> F1 Challenge great slaps great soundtrack um that intro music guitar is like some of the best I've heard in that era. Not even gonna lie. So I'm seeing that the soundtrack actually might have been changed for the Western version, but I cannot confirm this because I can't actually listen to it right now. Yeah, we'd have to look. Th- we'd have to later look into that. We'd have to look tweet. into it. But, but 
It is good, and it's um, it it gives me very much like Super Hang On vibes. Because one of the things I love about Super Hang On soundtrack is it's just very like sad, <laughs> which is, is it sounds like weird for like a racing game, but it's just so like like full of like suspense and like drama it's and sad just... but it's like motivating sad Mo- like, it yeah, just yeah makes you want to drive fast like, yeah it's like i'm i'm riding to like outrun all of my problems you know it's like like i'll hear that suzuka theme <laughs> and i'll hear that bass kick in and i'm just like yeah we're racing or like yeah. how hard hockenheim rocks like as you're going down that big straightaway in the back end and just the guitars kicking in I think the Hockenheim song is my favorite in this game. It's just, it it totally, yeah, it's just all of these songs have this driving element to them. They're very forceful. They're rock, but they're not dumb rock. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, there's there's something to this soundtrack, and that's why I draw a parallel with Super, with Super Hang On. Just very, like, yeah, it's like yeah, I'm racing, you know, I could die, you know. I've 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 seen some things, man. I've lost some friends, but you know, this is my life. I have to I have to keep going. That's that's a feeling I get from the F1 Challenge soundtrack. Oh hell yeah! But you also <laughs> like that rant you went on a little bit made me think of Driven. And now I'm just thinking, eh, I drive the Formula One car. <laughs> eh, I drive a Suzuka. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, well, thankfully, there's there's no Sylvester Stallone in this game, but there is, uh, you know, there is Mika Hakkinen and uh, John Lacey. John Lacey, who yep. almost looks like a French um, Sylvester Stallone in a way. A little bit. Yeah. There's Ukio Katayama, and there's the blue and white Yamaha Formula One, which I love. Yeah, because, you know, you cannot have... Um, a Japanese F1 game without a Japanese F1 driver in it, even if he's nowhere near as accomplished as the other five drivers. In oh, the of game. course. But the other the other five drivers are pretty rounded out. You got Mika Hakkinen, you have Alesi, you have David Hill, I believe. Yes. Schumacher. Ukiyo Kariyama. Schumacher, yeah. Schumacher rounds it out, too. Young Schumacher. I think it's actually Don't five. Get- yeah, it's five. And then you have the six tracks. Pretty sure it's five. But if you look at the computer cars, like they design all the computer cars like yes. the other teams. Yes. So you will see like um it wasn't Red Bull because it was the team that Red Bull would later take over, but you, you will see the Red Bull livery car from like ninety five. Um mm-hmm. you will see other cars on the grid that actually are are from actual teams. Um Yeah. A lot of detail went into the presentation. The little mobile one can on the Hockenheim Street. <laughs> in a slow poly fashion. One of the things I love about the way that they that they model the tracks in this game is that there is basically empty space between the road and the guardrail and then like where the grandstands are or where <laughs> the infield is uh how the floor is just the void the floor is yeah it's just it's just um whichever was a vdp2 i think did polygons and vdp1 did did like your backgrounds it's just yeah vdp2 basically makes the road and the car and some some grandstands and then the rest of the world is just whatever the the 2d processor generates it, it, it's like Sega Rally. You're stuck on Formula One Island. You can't get off Formula One Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. 
Yeah, so I mean that that's pretty much everything I got to say about F1 Challenge. Um, I'm glad, you know, one of the great things about doing this uh, this series, this little series for, for episode 50, is that we're talking about some games. Well, you know, one of the games you talked about was Gran Turismo Sport. Uh, but we're talking about uh, two games in particular that I don't think really would probably ever get their own episodes. Um, so it's cool that, to do like a mini show, just chat about F1 Challenge. Yeah, I would say unless we did like a big Sega F1 extravaganza, like yeah. we don't, re- we wouldn't really talk about F1 Challenge often, as yeah. much as we love it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, addition to the Saturn, um, you know, the Saturn uh, racing game, third-party racing game uh, grouping, which like is as we've said, hit or miss. But I, I think, especially if you're only spending fifteen dollars on this, I mean, when I got it. It was probably 10 years ago, and uh, retro game prices were not what they are now, so I think I only spent, like, 10 But Yeah, about the same. Saturn prices have been, like, up and down lately. Everything's been up, and especially with yep. the pandemic. That is true. But give it a shot. Everybody's trying to get all those Saturn games, but hell yeah, give, give F1 Challenge a shot, or get <laughs> F1 Live information. Inform yourself. Inform, inform yourself with F1 Live information. Uh, Alright, well... Thank you so much, Jason. It's always a pleasure. Always teaching me something about the Sega racing game I didn't know. Oh, well, not a problem, Adam. I mean, glad to know we share the same roots on Ridge Racer. I'll be sure to uh, I'll be sure to forward along everything I've learned to Brendan. Because um, I don't think. Oh he's yeah, we need to get Brendan F1 Challenge. Brendan needs <laughs> to play F1 Challenge if he's played Formula One games. Dude, that that. That guy's got a list of games I keep trying to get him to play so that we can do shows on them, so (laughs) he's got to get through that first. So that's pretty much episode 50. Uh, you heard from all three guests. Uh, got to talk about a couple, uh, you know, different games. One of which, uh, you know, Gran Turismo Sports, a game that has come up in conversation a lot. But yeah, I, I agree with Paul. It doesn't get enough credit. And, and certainly if you haven't played the other two, uh, go do that because they're both they're both interesting games in their own right although i don't know how the hell you would get a copy of uh toge r because <laughs> only andrew is crazy enough to seek out uh japanese xbox import 
Yeah, um, for any queries related to getting a hold of that game, uh, please tweet um, every single day to at Andrew Elmore on Twitter. Um, I'm sure he'll really appreciate the constant uh, berating to get a copy of that game. Yeah, no, it's 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 <laughs> what he's all about. I mean, I didn't even know that game existed until he told me it existed like a year ago, and uh, here we are talking about it. That's that's what Time Extends all about, though. So, uh, yeah, I mean. Hey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean that I, that's the thing. What what is there left to say? People have made it this far. I mean we're looking at about what two hours and a half here. Um if you've made it to Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess with that, you know, I think the the one thing left to say is just thanks. You know, thanks for following us. Thanks for listening to this. Thanks for supporting us uh, over the years. And um, whether you're, you know, whether you're new to the podcast or you've been you've been following us around since the earlier days, uh, we were we appreciate all the support. And uh, you know, I, I say it time and time again, but y'all are the reason that we do it. Uh, we probably would have given up somewhere between episode five and eight if <laughs> there weren't you know some people who were outspoken and said like hey you know this is a show that uh i've wanted for a very long time but no one's ever made it uh and and once we heard more and more people say that um it just kind of took on the life of its own so thank you and you know ho- assuming that we you know we're doing this 50 episodes from now which i don't see any reason why we wouldn't be <laughs> you might have to wait until like 2023 but uh, uh you know look look forward to the next 50 yeah exactly and we've got some really cool things in the pipeline as well whether that be episodes or some other things which become clear in the future we we're definitely looking to kind of keep building upon what we have here um Massive shout out to the Discord. I think the, the way that kind of debate and discussion happens in there so often kind of almost drives us to finally put time in the calendar between our busy day jobs <laughs> to kind of get another episode out. And when we think we've thought about everything to talk about, there's always some random title or topic that comes up that even makes us go, you know what, maybe we haven't touched upon that. So um, whether it's Twitter, Discord, or um, you found the the podcast through the, the kind of few other places that it popped up. Um, thanks very much for listening, and we can only hope to continue doing this and bringing some more content that maybe you can't kind of source elsewhere. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, if if the world ever returns to its uh, normal state, we we have another uh, have another Glasgow hang, or you come out here, although. Uh, I think it's probably more exciting where you are, Brendan. <laughs> it's funny. I guess it's the the grass is always greener effect because I was thinking it was it was your turn to host me, Adam. But we'll, we'll work that out when there isn't a you know a, a worldwide pandemic going on and it's actually possible to, to travel across. But um, rest assured, I've got a, a bottle of Mad Dog chilling in the fridge just for you. <laughs> sounds sounds like a good time as always. All right, well. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you episode 51. Thanks for listening, guys.
Hey everyone, welcome to the Time Attack podcast where we talk about everything in racing games. My name is Adam Ismail and I'm here today with... Uh, Brendan Rorison and I'll also be talking through the latest in racing news with Adam. So Adam, do you want to get us kicked off with the latest news? Sure, uh, so for news today we got a lot going on, uh, especially in sim racing. Uh, GT Sport obviously had its demo last week and we'll be going through our impressions in detail later on. But to kick things off, um, Project Cars had a pretty big week because uh, the patch 2.0 was released with a bunch of, you know, small but important fixes and and one very significant fix, which was the infamous...